I'm Jerry Hancock with Minute Balance. We're now talking to Chris. Uh, I must say as a disclaimer, one of my best friends. Uh, but also Chris has a lot of success stories in, uh, in his life. And so we're going to talk some about his background, where he came from, where he is now. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Jerry. Appreciate you being here, man. And thanks. So, um, you know, let's maybe start back early in your life. I know that uh, your dad died, your mom was uh, sort of left alone for you to care for, and then your life took a bad turn all of a sudden. Yeah, Jerry, I stumbled coming out of the gate. I got, I got, I was fortunate to have a good foundation uh, early on where I went to a private uh, Catholic, actually, uh, grade school. But my father died when I was coming out of that grade school, eighth grade, and uh, my mother just went haywire. She couldn't really handle it. And uh, I was cut free, basically, of all parental guidance. So we had had a move out of our nice home in the suburbs to a an apartment in the city. And, and this was in St. Louis? This was in St. Louis, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, I, uh, I just went... I've got, I got very angry. I was a very angry, uh, resentful young man. I was I was so disappointed. I was just—it's really hard to explain. Uh, I had to get tough. I had to survive. I didn't have any any guidance at all. Um, I was left on my own completely at fourteen, and I had to take care of my mother, and uh, I was making decisions a 14-year-old shouldn't have to make and see yeah. things that, that I shouldn't have had to have seen. And I, uh, from that point forward, I knew that my life was never going to be what I had always fantasized it to be, and yeah. it was a major disappointment. And. So your mom, your mom developed a drinking problem, right, after your dad died? Yes, yes. Her and her sister go, would go out at, at the bar. She had to go to work. She mm-hmm. hadn't worked in 25 years, and she had to go back to work just to survive. And I ended up working with her when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started working really at 14. So really you were not only responsible for yourself, you were sort of responsible for seeing that your mom didn't. Well, she couldn't drive. She couldn't drive. She kept bouncing off parked cars, so mm. I had to. <laughs> I started driving her to work when I was 14 years old. Wow. You know, and uh, 14, 15, before I ever got legally licensed to drive. And, uh, I mean, I had a few tickets before I ever got my driver's license. Is that right? Yeah, it was uh, a mess. So Back then, you could get away with that. So yeah, yeah, you can't do, do it now. Huh? No. So... Uh, so you took some bad turns after that. I mean, I, I can certainly understand why. Tell me some of the details where you went after your mom's uh, bad luck. Well, I made some. I made some. I never finished high school, and uh, I quit in the tenth grade, and I went into the workforce, and I always had the ability to do well on a job and I, I could look at my environment and and see that I had more on the ball than most people I was dealing with so I would I would succeed in 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 the corporate world uh, 
moved to Connecticut when I was 18, and I got hired at an aerospace uh, manufacturer, Pratt & Whitney, and uh, they made the jet engines for the 747 at the time it was booming. Mm-hmm. There were 30,000 people in that one facility in East Hartford I got hired at in 1969, and it's one of the best things that happened to me career-wise because I eventually got my GED because of a, this is the first mentor that that came into my life. It was my foreman when I got hired and on the burr bench, which is one of the low-life jobs in the manufacturing process. And so up to that time, though, you'd had to develop sort of a tough guy image just to survive, right? Yeah, I had to. I mean, I was getting the, that's why I quit school, because I was getting the crap knocked out of me every day, you know. Mm. I was a Catholic And kid. you're a big guy. You were a big guy then, yeah, weren't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, so I got picked on quite a bit, because it made smaller guys look good. And mm. uh, I eventually stopped it. I eventually got, I had to get hard. Mm. I had to get harder than I was. Um and because I was big, I could put on a hell of a show. Yeah. I learned to, uh, to, I learned to defend myself, and I learned how to manipulate people when it come came to uh, intimidation. Right. Um, somewhere along the line, there you started a history of abuse of alcohol and drugs. Well, and I checked out real early. I decided I was so well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was such a juvenile. Um, I had no really good male role models, and I rejected any kind of positive influence. I was so angry. So I uh, I decided in my early 20s I was going to party myself to death. I mean, it was a conscious decision. Wow. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to be a rock star, and I wasn't going to be, you know, all the things that, you know, kids dream of being, and a uh, sports star, I wanted to box Muhammad Ali, and <laughs> you know, I, was, I had all kinds of dreams as a kid. And um, I, I mean, I, I made the realization that you know my life was not going to be anything positive. So I decided, you know, I, I heard some statistics about you know stress being one of the or being the biggest killer in in America at the time. It was high blood pressure and heart attack and. And I, and I figured that was from the working stiffs, you know, the people that worried about family and job, and I didn't want to go there. And, mm. you know, I already smoked, and that was killing a lot of people. So um, party seemed to be number three, you know, yeah, alcohol, right. and, and that and it uh, was, was one of the biggest killers in the country at the time. And so I decided to take that route. I was going to be the best party animal on the planet. And wow. it was during the 60s and, you know, the late 60s, early 70s, man, when I was coming of age, you know, 18, 20. Plenty of partying 20s. to be had, wasn't it? Oh, man, it, it was socially acceptable, really. Yeah. You know. So you you went uh, pretty far down in the party life before you finally hit bottom, I would say. Is that the way you would describe yeah, it? Yeah, I became a alcoholic and drug addict and... Uh, functional for many years uh i became a bar fly you know a curb creature i um i really uh i lived in the bars the people in the bar rooms were my family i would Mm. i would establish relationships with bar regulars and bar owners and bartenders and 
I would, uh, they would basically become my family. And I, uh, I got married young and I was married for a few years as a kid and bought a home and everything. I was working at Pratt Whitney and everything was good for three or four years, but it it wasn't good. I was partying my brains out and and my wife finally got enough of it. She was a young young girl and uh, she left me and then I was single for 25 years. I mean, there was so much really bad stuff that happened to me that I was responsible for and I would never take responsibility for it. So uh, what made you finally see the light and figure out there was a different way to run your life? One word, God. Hmm. You know, um, I hated God for years. I was, um, I didn't think, to me, an atheist was just as bad as a Christian because nobody knows either way. Right. You know, I was agnostic at best, but I was agnostic with a with a really strong dislike for anything Christian or spiritual. I thought, and so you were raised though in a Catholic school, so now yeah. you, now you're pretty disillusioned with the whole idea. Well, I, was, I rebelled against it. I, yeah. Where were they when I needed them? You right. know, I mean, where were the nuns and all this love and stuff that I was yeah. taught? And and really, Catholicism doesn't teach love with. It did me at the time. Now, this is strictly my experience, but you can't teach love. And what I found out later when I, when I did learn about Christ, that it's, you can't teach love through fear and guilt, which is what I felt in, in the Catholic religion. So at, at your worst, my recollection of your story I've heard you tell before, you were pretty much uh, left for dead by folks partying with you, and somehow you came to and, and eventually got into rehab, right? Yeah, I was, uh, I was, uh, I had lost everything. I was on the street for two years in Los Angeles. I ended up in Los Angeles in 1980, and uh, by 88 I had regressed to the point you know, it's like circling a toilet bowl, you know. Uh, it just keeps, once you get down that road, once you go down that Further road and make down. those decisions, you know, to part of yourself to death, I yeah. mean, I was serious. You I were committed to that. Huh? I was committed, and I didn't think I'd ever make, I'd live through Los Angeles. And I got into cocaine, and, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And uh, I ended up uh, living in a hotel with um, a bunch of... Uh, uh, professional women, and uh, you know, I was supplying them what they wanted, and they were taking care of me, and and that that's where I ended up. And I actually had an, I actually OD'd and uh, had a spiritual experience. I don't know what you call it—a moment of clarity. Uh, this was back in '88. I just. Uh, I was told afterwards what what happened. I actually went into convulsions, and um, I woke up in the shower, and they had pulled me. The people I was with pulled me and put me in the shower, and uh, I lived through this. But what happened in my mind, in my heart, is what changed because I really felt that I had the opportunity to die right then and there if I had. It was almost like God had had called my bluff. 
mm-hmm. so to speak, and said, all right, you know, you're at a point now where you have done it to yourself. You know, you have taken so much that, you know, you're going to die. You're not going to. You're not going to come out of this. And you know. So how did you? All you have to do is lay there and let it happen. You yeah. know. Otherwise, fight. You know. Yeah. And I got this fear come through my heart. I mean, like I never had before, and it was real. And I fought. I didn't want. I, I realized at that point I didn't want to die. And I had. I'd come so close. I mean, I was just right on the precipice. And so what was your next step to start to start your? journey back oh it was it's that like I said it that was in 88 and I didn't get sober till 93 so it wasn't it it was just getting out of that initial environment I got back in with uh, some some of my older buddies who were party animals who hated drugs there's a lot of alcoholics out there that don't like drug addicts Mm -hmm, (laughs) so um I got in with those guys again, promising that I wouldn't bring my attic buddies around, and uh, I didn't. And they they let me, they gave me a clean environment with nothing but alcohol, and I was staying drunk all the time. And it, I got weaned off of the, off of the chemicals and uh, with alcohol. And then, that still I couldn't justify that anymore because of that experience. I mean. God gave me a choice to live, and I'd been trying to kill myself for so long, and then all of a sudden I chose not to die. I didn't know what to do. It was yeah. really a, it was really a, a, um, a terrible place to be because I didn't want to do it anymore, but I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. So if if, if we fast forward to the last fifteen years or so of your life, you've been sober. You're married. Twenty years. Twenty, 20 years. years. You're remarried. That was in '88. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I had a couple long-term hostage-style relationships in California, but uh, nothing ever healthy. And, and I've been I've been married now uh, twice sober. Um, my first wife, I still love dearly, um, but she had children, and I've never had children, and <coughs> we couldn't get past that. Um, so uh, I have found a wonderful woman who who's never had children either. So um, we've been together now eight years. I've been sober since '93. I haven't had any drugs since '88. I stopped smoking in '95, and I recently just uh, got. And when I quit smoking, I started eating like a fool, and uh, I just love. I fell in love with food again, and. I went from 240 to 376 pounds, and I'm six foot four and uh, 60 years old. You know what? What kind of future is that? You mm. know, I was back in the throes of uh, self-destruction, so I uh, I got bypass surgery just a few months ago, and I've dropped 80 pounds. 80 pounds. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, by all standards, your life is going pretty good right now, right? It, Hey, you've, got, you've got your own business. I've been blessed so much, it's unbelievable. I mean, if I would have wrote down what I expected when I got sober 20 years ago, you know, if I would have wrote down what I wanted, you know, it was very simple. You know, I just yeah. wanted to live life without all the pain and anguish and, and resentment and anger. And and I have been given, I've been a member of this church uh, that we belong to for 
15 years, and the people here, you know, when I first got here, um, you know, just loved me with open arms. And it's the same feeling you get in recovery. I'm still active yeah. in recovery groups, and uh, it's it's incredible. I surround myself with with right-thinking, good people now instead of the people I used to, and yeah. God has blessed me with, with more than I could ever have imagined. Uh, very selfishly on my part, I'm interested in your uh, history with Men in Balance because you've been there since the beginning. Yeah, me and you uh, were at a class at another church member who was um, got an interesting story. Uh, does periodically for the church, and it's called identifying your spiritual gifts and talents. And it's really important to know in your life once you recognize that God's in charge. You know. The gifts that he's given you and that he wants you to use to help bring other people to him. And I I could see what I had done in my childhood is created the person I thought I wanted to be with total disregard about what I was good at or what talents or looking at what God may have given me the gifts. I didn't care. I knew I wanted all the dirty women and I wanted, <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to be the tough guy and and, I, and and that's what I created, and it led me to hell. It led me to the gates of hell. But now the uh, learning through that class, what not only what I think my spiritual gifts are, which was nowhere near as important as what other people, after you know did, that class had a way, the. Uh, literature that came with it had a way of, of I think, think there were eight of us in there and we all got to know each other really well and towards the end of the eight or ten weeks that we attended it uh, it helped us understand each other's gifts we could identify, readily identify see so something else I've learned in life is uh, you know other people can see a whole lot better about what and who I am than I can you know I, I delude myself in so many ways and always have and that's why I I, I accept uh, the best I can the only person I have a hard time accepting any kind of criticism is my wife <laughs> but you're working on that <laughs> but right? I'm working on that hard boy it's, yeah uh, well uh, so men in balance has been a big part of your life ever since the beginning isn't it? well that's when I believe you got inspired right right um, from yeah. that class um you and I met really. We didn't. We had known each That's other right. in the church, but we had never really uh, were friends. And we had met after that. And I think God, personally, I think God brought us together. Yeah. And um, you were so on fire about wanting to help the men in this church at first, and then, um, well, men in general. Uh, you had pulled some statistics about what men thought about their fathers and um, I mean some of it was really remarkable and uh, it took off you yeah. took off with it I mean you can tell you know to me it it's so obvious when you're doing God's work you know it, it, it becomes easy and, and the people that came into your life and you know how well you you know you tell that story better than I do about how mm -hmm. easily it it happened for you to 
Well, I just want to uh, wrap this up with saying, you know, how much I appreciate your being there and being part of that. I mean, you've been a great inspiration. Your stories have uh, inspired other men to to take a look at their lives, and and your willingness to give up ego and uh, and really take a hard look at yourself, I think, is admirable. Which is something uh, most of us have a hard time learning to do. Well, thank you for that, Jerry. Yeah. That's, that's something I've been taught. That's a requirement for growth. Yeah, you really. know. Our time is up, Chris. I really appreciate you being with us. Uh, uh, you know, it, folks who know you are easily inspired by your life. I certainly am, and I hope this interview maybe shares that with uh, the rest of our listening audience. I'm Jerry Hancock. Thanks for listening. Men in Balance.